0: Well, I uh, grew up in a town a little south of here called Miami, Oklahoma. Uh, Miami is a town that if you look on a map, you think it's pronounced Miami. It's spelled the same way, but we're Okies and we're weird and we pronounce it differently because that's what we do with towns in Oklahoma. But Miami is somebody said it's true. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Yes, we're weird and we pronounce things differently. Those are both true. Uh, But Miami is about two and a half hours south of here. If you Go over and hop on Highway 69 and go straight south. Uh, We're one of the first towns you'll come to about 10 minutes across the state line. Miami is a town of about 14,000 people, give or take a few, and it's pretty much been that size my entire life. Uh, While I was there, I went to uh, our high school there in in, in Miami. It's a medium-sized high school. We're class 4A, if you keep up with anything like that. Uh, I graduated with 150-ish students. My wife went to, uh, is from a town called Commerce, right outside of Miami. It's a town of about 2,000. She graduated with 30 something students. Uh, I like to joke and say that Commerce is one of our suburbs, because when you're a town of 14,000 and you have Walmart, the other towns feed into you. So they had to come to us for everything. Uh, when I was in college, I moved to Norman, Oklahoma, and attended the University of Oklahoma. OU is uh, about twenty-five to 30,000 students, like a lot of other big state schools. Norman, like a lot of uh, college towns, is about 115,000 people. It's a big town. It's not really a city. It's close to Oklahoma City, but it's really not a suburb. It's kind of its own thing. Uh, we moved back to, or I moved back to my hometown for about a decade, and... and uh, In 2015, Jennifer and I, and at the time our two daughters, uh, Amelie was a baby, we moved to Glendale, Arizona, a big move across the country. Glendale is a city of about 250,000 people. It's on the west side of Phoenix. Uh, If you follow football, like many of you do, Glendale is home of the Arizona Cardinals. In fact, we lived just a couple miles right down the road from the stadium where they play. Phoenix, as, as a metro area, is home to five and a half million. It's one of the six biggest metro areas in the country. After Phoenix, we landed in Oregon, in a town called Grants Pass. It's a town of about 40,000. And then we wound up here, in Johnson County, with its 600,000 people, and the Kansas City area, with about two and a quarter million people across the entire Kansas City metro area. Over that time, those different towns and cities, I've been a part of several different churches. I grew up in a church of about 300. Our our home-based church there in uh, Oklahoma is... A church of maybe 500. I've been a part of small churches, less than 100, or about 150. When we were in Arizona, we were a part of the largest Christian church in America, CCV. It's a church that right now runs about 35,000 people every weekend. I've been a part of neighborhoods. I've lived kind of away from people. We've lived close to family. We lived where we don't know anybody. But what we found is that wherever we go, wherever we live, whatever we're a part of, everything has one thing in common. That wherever we're at, we have the choice to be drawn towards community or towards isolation. Everywhere we go, we have that decision to go one way or the other. And I think given the choice, most of us would probably take community. Like, like that's what we want. We want people around us. We want friends. We want family, et cetera. Yet, we tend to drift naturally toward isolation. And and when I think about that, it's not really hard to figure out why, because that's kind of the American way. Like, sometimes we're a little too American at times. We want to really celebrate our independence. We don't want to rely on other people. We we like the idea of being a self-made man or a self-made woman. When we're down, we like to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We've been taught that throughout our lives. And and, and as a result, what tends to happen is we tend to get pulled away from community. Several of you grew up with heroes like the Lone Ranger. You grew up watching those shows and thought, man, how neat might that be? Or you grew up watching like Batman, you know, like where he's kind of his own thing and kind of does his own thing. And he only has one or two people in his life, and that's really about it. But here's the problem. We weren't created that way. We weren't designed that way. And and I would say this, when most of us, when it comes to our spiritual walk, when it comes to our, our walk with Jesus, the number one thing that tends to derail our walk or hinder our walk more than anything else is isolation. In fact, did you know this? Scientific studies have shown what isolation can do to us. Now, it's easy to think what sort of like emotional or, or psychological or even spiritual toll isolation can take. And, and this isn't even talking about the last 18 months. This has been the case before COVID, and now it's off the charts. But that, that makes sense, right, to think about the emotional or the, the spiritual toll it's taken on us. But research is starting to show that prolonged periods of isolation actually have a physical effect on us as well, too. In fact, researchers recently studied people who were in prolonged periods of isolation at least six months, meaning they spent the majority of their time alone. And what they saw is after at least six months of isolation, the physical toll on their body was the equivalent to somebody smoking almost a pack of cigarettes a day. That caught me off guard. It's like the the physical toll sneaks up and starts to chip away at you. But there's a very, very simple explanation for why that's so. God didn't wire us that way. He didn't create us that way. In fact, I'd say it like this. God created you in and hardwired you for community. And this isn't like some new discovery that, that I've made or other churches or other pastors have made that, that, that we're, we're created in or hardwired for a community. The Bible's very clear that we are. In fact, all you have to do is look at the very first page of the Bible, and this explains why we're created this way. I mean, literally for me, it's page one of my Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. It's a passage that many people know. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now you say, well, I've read that verse several times. Every time, you know, most of us, when we start trying to read through the Bible, we at least make it through Genesis one, right? It's usually like, like Leviticus that derails us, okay? So we at least get through chapter one. We've read this verse. But there's a detail here that's easy to miss. Because look at the pronouns. It says, let us make, human, or make, make mankind in our image. Let us. It's plural. That means it's not just God saying, let me do it. It's let us do it. This is the Trinity at work. This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit at work in creation. Other parts of the Bible back this up and say that, that Jesus was active in creation as well, too. And so by our very nature, we were created in community. But there's something else that jumps out to me in Genesis chapter 1. Again, something that most of us probably, even if you're not super familiar with the Bible, understand and and, and remember. Six times in Genesis 1, we read about God creating something. God created the heavens. God created the earth. He created the sun, the moon, uh, the animals, etc., And every time he creates something, it comes back and the writer says, and God saw that it was good. Six times. He recognizes that creation was good. And then he creates man, and God recognizes something different. And in Genesis chapter 2, we read this in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, I could get into the... The, the theological rabbit trail of, well, did God make a mistake or did God make a realization that he wasn't thinking of ahead of time? I don't believe that. I'm just going by what the word says right off the page. But if you've heard me preach, and, and this is a, a preached a few times now, you know that I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to the language of the Bible. Now, I'll admit, I'm a bit of a nerd in other areas too, but I'm a nerd when it comes to the language of the Bible. Somebody said amen, and I do not I will find who said that, so... But in the original Hebrew, like I love my English Bibles and I trust my English Bibles, but I like to get in and and really dive into the original language. I feel like it makes my understanding of the Bible richer, understanding of the context richer. And where it says not good, you know how that literally translates into English? Bad. You're welcome. You're like, really, we're paying this guy to get up here and and do this? (laughs) But there actually is an interesting little note here. Because where we read the words to be alone, we read the words to be alone. That's one word in the Hebrew, to be alone. And the word looks like this in the Hebrew language. Now, Hebrew is a funky language to read. You read it right to left. It's two characters. The little accent mark tells us how to pronounce it. And in this word that we read that is translated to be alone, here's what it looks like when we pronounce it. It's pronounced bad. So in Hebrew, to be alone is bad. And it's kind of like a funny little coincidence, or maybe it's not, I don't know. But to me, it just plays into this idea that God did not create us to be alone. Now, I understand some of you are introverted And you need time to yourselves. I get that. I'm introverted as well, too. And I've had people say, how in the world are you introverted? You will talk somebody's leg off, and that is true. But introverted or extroverted, it's not about how talkative you are. To be introverted or extroverted, that's determined by how you are recharged and refreshed spiritually. And some people need to be around other people to be refreshed or recharged. I've got some friends, if they're by themselves for five minutes, they are going insane. They have to be around a crowd of people all the time. It's exhausting. Like, go away to your own crowd. I need my, I need my space, okay? Most of us need time alone. And that's not a bad thing. Jesus needed time alone. Jesus withdrew often to a place. Sometimes he might take one or two people. Sometimes he went by himself. But Jesus needed time alone. We get this. It's okay to need moments of solitude. But but understand this. Don't confuse your short-term need for solitude with our eternal design for community. Community is important for us. It's vital for us. And it's not just so that we have something to do. It's not just about filling up our calendars and staying busy. Community is important far beyond that. Well, I like, think about this. And, and some of you might be able to relate with what I'm about to say. Think about what it would be like to celebrate or, or, or experience certain moments of life uh, in, in your life by yourself. Like you graduate high school and nobody's there. Or you graduate college and nobody's there with you. Again, some of you can relate to this. When I taught high school, when I coached, we we used to do homecoming and and senior night where the parents would walk out with the students. And at some point, we stopped doing that because half the students didn't have anybody there to walk with them. And, And it made me realize what I grew up with is the minority now. What I grew up with, both parents at home, that doesn't exist so much anymore. And we got to a point where we as coaches or teachers would walk with the students we eventually just stopped that all together. We had the students walk out together because we had somebody walking out to, to be commemorated and, and there was nobody there with them. Th- think about what that would be like to go through that. Uh, some of you play golf. Think about what it's like to golf completely by yourself and you finally hit that hole-in-one and you pick the ball up and you look around. First off, nobody's going to believe you that you hit the hole-in-one And second, there's nobody there to celebrate it with. There's nobody there to experience it with. Moments in life need people around us. That's why college was such a a fun experience for for so many people. For the first time, really, you're getting to experience a new community. You don't have your family. You don't have your old friends. You're getting to experience newness around you. That's also why college is so difficult for a lot of people. Because they get there and they they can't find it. Or they don't know where to look. I believe our greatest growth as individuals happens in community. Again, go back to the analogy of of, of playing golf. I've played throughout my life, and for the longest time, I could not figure out why I couldn't hit the ball straight. Everything was just a massive slice every time. I never had anybody to tell me what I was doing wrong. And I finally, when we were in Arizona, somebody said, well, here's what you do. Adjust your grip, pull your club up a little bit, swing your hips through more, well, I started hitting it straighter. I needed somebody there to encourage me, to instruct me, to help me out. As a Christian, as a Christian, folks, you will only grow spiritually to the level that we have here in the church, the level of community that we have here in the church. I'm, I'm assuming that because you're here today, you want to grow. Like, like that's just, I'm going to go ahead and jump to conclusions here. You're here because you want to grow in some way, shape, or form. And I want to be clear with you as a church. It is not our goal to just baptize people. Like We celebrate that and we should. But that's not our goal is just to baptize people. Our goal is to help people become like Christ and become more and more like him every day. That is very, very difficult to do when you're by yourself. And so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that because you're here today, you want to grow and we need to grow in the community of the church. But let me let me let you in on a little secret. What we're doing right here, right now, isn't community. It's not. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It's important to be here. Yes. Some of you are joining us online. We are ready for you to rejoin us when it's safe to do so. But what we're doing right here isn't community. Yes, it's important to be here and worship together, as Ben talked about earlier. Brad kicked this series off a couple of weeks ago by talking about the importance of Of being together. Last week he talked about the importance of serving together. Those are all important, but what we're doing isn't community. Why not? Because you're sitting there and I'm standing here and you're listening to me talk. There's not conversation happening. You're looking at me or maybe you're looking at the back of somebody's head. That's that's your vantage point right now. And so I, I would say it this way, community does not happen in rows, folks. It happens in living rooms. It happens around kitchen tables. It happens in coffee shops. Earlier this week, Ben and I met with a couple, and we had community surrounded by ribs and burn ins and sausage and all sorts of goodness. And that was a meaningful, impactful conversation. The conversation that took place was better than the food on the table. That's community. That's where we start to grow. So I would say it this way, life change happens in circles, not in rows. You may say, what do you you mean by that? How many of you, ask a question, be honest, how many of you, you married your spouse, and every date you ever went on, every conversation between when you first met and you got married, every part of your dating experience was once a week, You went to the movie theater, you sat beside him or her, and you stared straight ahead and watched the screen, and you didn't have a conversation? How many of you? Like, all you might say is you might lean over and go, man, Denzel Washington is awesome. Man, that was a great movie. And that's it. How many of you got married based on that relationship? You don't fall in love with a spouse sitting beside him or her watching a movie once a week. Where do you fall in love with them? Having a conversation, talking in the car, talking in in, in the living room, going on walks together, being together, that's where you would fall in love with somebody. Setting in rows doesn't lead to relationship. Being in circles does. And and here's the thing, both of these settings are important. What we're doing right now is, is important to the church, yes, but being together in smaller settings is as well too. And this push for small groups we've talked about the last several weeks, this isn't some new trend in the church. Like, like when I grew up, it wasn't necessarily at Sunday school, but small groups weren't really a thing. But this isn't some new trend. The church started this way. We've been in Acts chapter 2 throughout this series. It's kind of one of the theme passages for this series. But you look at Acts 2, and, and here's kind of the quick outline of the first couple chapters of the church. Acts chapter 1, the church is 11 people. It's the remaining disciples after Judas has died. And they replace Judas, so it grows to 12. And and then they they meet at the beginning of Acts 2, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and suddenly the group's now 100 or so. And then Peter preaches. And then as Peter preaches, like thousands and thousands of people flock to the church. So it grew by 3,000 in in one day. Day one, the church was a megachurch. And I've heard people say, well... I can't attend such and such church because it's just too big. Well, guess what? You wouldn't have liked the original church. You won't like heaven because it's going to be a mega church. Okay? I honestly believe that every church should strive to grow to big, big numbers because that's what the first church did. But I understand where you're coming from because it's easy to say, well, I went there and I was just a number. I was just a face in the crowd. And folks, if if, if that's how you felt, you can be that way at any church you go to. You can be a face in the crowd of a church of 50. You show up, you sing the songs, you hear the sermon, you go home. That's it and that's all. Or you can be a face in the crowd of a church of 30,000. So the goal of a church is twofold. It's to get bigger and smaller at the same time. He so, said, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Sure it does. You get bigger in the, the, the mass setting, but then you grow through groups as well, because that's what the first church did here. They grew to 3,000, and look what it says, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's what we're doing right now, and to fellowship. Fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. That implies a small community setting where they live together, and they share together. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They had meals together, and they prayed together. And then verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They came to church, and they broke bread together in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and and, and enjoying the favor of all the people. They went to a small setting. That was the pattern of the church from day one. And this wasn't a one and done thing. We see it again in Acts 4. We see it again in Acts 5. We see it again and again and again. Again, I talked a couple weeks ago about being here. This is important that we're here. But for some of you, you come every week and that's all. So let me ask you a question. What's the next step you need to take to get richer in your walk with Jesus? What's the next step? Maybe that step is joining a group. Maybe, maybe the next step you need to take is, is being more regular here, and that, that's good. It's good that you can recognize that, but for many of you, it's taking that step in joining a group. It's taking that step in joining a small community, because you come here, and, and you enjoy it, and you enjoy the, the music, or you enjoy the sermons, and you, you know, man, there's we some friendly people. And they made me feel welcome, but you, you, you feel that need in your heart for authentic, rich community, that's where we find it in our small group ministry. Now, for some of you, you may say, well, that's great, Kurt. What in the world is a small group? Well, like you said that was a foreign concept for you as a kid. What's, it is for me now. What are you talking about? Small groups are just simply smaller settings that take place sometimes at the church, but often in somebody's home. And, and we have two types of small groups here. Traditionally here at Crossroads, we've had what we would probably more accurately call a Bible study. Where you get together in a group, it's, it's kind of like Sunday school, some of you grew up with Sunday school. You get together and you say, okay, well we're just going to start going through the, the, the book of Acts. or We're going to go through uh, the gospel of Luke and we're going to take the next two months and go through this, th- this book. Or you may say, well there's a great new book out by Max Licato, we're going to go through this chapter by chapter. Or you may tackle a theme like money or grief or, or some theme in life that you're dealing with that you need to talk about. And that's really what it is. It's a deep dive into a topic. There's conversation around the topic. And that's where you're at. And we're going to continue to have those Bible study groups that meet weekly. But it's more than just that. We also have now community groups that we're launching. And community groups are groups that have a Bible study element, but it's more than that. And so here's the typical pattern that we're going to have for our, our, our community groups. You'll show up, there will be a short seance, and we're going to confess our sins to each other. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You don't have to do that. Please don't do that, actually. Please don't do that, okay? There's some group, you, Okay, if you want to do that, great. Go do that. I'm not going to do that at the groups I go to, okay? What, is our, what are our community groups? You show up. You share a meal together. There's a a time in the word where you study and you grow spiritually, yes. But it is more than just that. It is being together beyond that. It it is having campfires and and cookouts together. It is spending time together in life. There's a phrase that that some people don't like to hear. It's it's the proverbial doing life together. That's what a community group is. You go catch a ball game together. Maybe you watch the Chiefs game together. And then maybe at halftime you do confess your sins for what you said during the first half of the Chiefs game. And if you're so inclined, you pray for the second half. I'm not looking at anybody in particular when I say that. But uh, I know some of you already. (laughs) That's a community group. And here's the beauty of a community group. We are heading into a time of the year where probably more than any other time, it's great to have people around you to do the activities that are coming up. Fall activities are so much fun. Football games, yes. Bonfires, hay rides. We've got stuff like fall festivals and and trunk or treat things coming up. As a community group, you can do those together. Uh, Christmas is coming up my goodness, I went to Target this was three weeks ago, Labor Day weekend I went to Target, they had Christmas lights out people it was Labor Day I went to Walmart this past week I went to the garden center thinking maybe I can find stuff on clearance, we just moved into our house we need stuff it's full of Christmas already I'm like we haven't even played week two of the football season yet and it's Christmas already here's the thing about Christmas though Christmas is usually the best time of the year or the worst time of the year. And there's usually no in-between. You know what the determining factor is? If you have people around you. Because Christmas season, it just amplifies what your life is like right now. If you've got good, strong community, Christmas is wonderful. But if you're alone, Christmas is one of the worst times of the year. Because it just highlights it. So being in community with us, being in community with a group, folks, it just makes it so much richer. But our groups are more important than just having fun together and just doing a Bible study or sharing a meal together. Groups are important because we can grow personally and spiritually. All of us are, in in life, all of us need somebody that we can look at or look up to or learn from. And all of us need somebody we can pour into. One of my old pastors used to say, everybody needs a Paul and everybody needs a Timothy, meaning we need somebody we can mentor and somebody we can be mentored by. Groups are a great place for that. So we need to make sure, folks, we are not underestimating the importance of relationships when it comes to our spiritual growth, because those relationships are what grow us. In fact, I will say it this way. You can't grow spiritually unless you're connected in a church relationally. Some of you have been a part of a church, and I say been a part of kind of loosely because you're there, but you're not really plugged in with anybody else. So, so grab a hold of, of somebody. You can't, again, grow spiritually unless you're connected to a church relationally. But I understand that some of you don't join. And I just want to kind of give you, before you even say them, a list of excuses Why? Because these are excuses that I've heard from people time and time again. And I'm just going to give you an answer to those excuses before you can give them to me. i kind of beat you to the punch and play devil's advocate here, okay? Here's an excuse that I hear from a lot of people when I say you should join a good, strong church community. They'll say, well, I already have a good community that I'm a part of. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you've got a good, strong community through your neighborhood. We just moved in again about uh, six weeks ago. We're getting to know our neighbors or our Daughters are making friends with uh, their neighbors. We're getting to know them little by little. And maybe you have a good, strong community through your job or or through your kid's school or or through your kid's sports uh, parents. Maybe you've got that. Here's my question back to you. Is it the right community? You've got people there, but is it the right community? Here's why I ask that. Some of you are like me in this way. I've got a bit of a reflective personality. The longer I'm around certain people, I will start to think and act like those certain people. I look back to high school, and I got super into punk music in high school. And I look back going, why in the world was I super into punk? I was never even remotely a punk type of kid. Why was I into punk music in high school? Because my two best friends were. And they got me turned on to it. And I look back at it and go, man, that was awful music. Like, why did I like that so much? They did. I got super into Frisbee golf in high school. They were super into Frisbee golf in high school. I moved away from that, and guess what I don't ever play? Frisbee golf. (laughs) I've just noticed that. Like, my hobbies kind of depend on who's around me. So what should I do? I need to make sure I've got the right people around me. You need to make sure that you've got a good, strong community with you. Here's another excuse we hear. Well, it's awkward to show up to a new group. Okay, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that. We've moved a lot lately. When you move someplace and there's already a bit of a social structure, already a bit of social circles, it is weird to try and get into them. We moved to a, a town, a, a larger but still a town in Oregon. And we found very quickly all the people our age have very established relationships. It was kind of hard for us to get plugged in with them. It felt awkward at times, like we were just kind of the third wheel or we were just kind of on the outside saying, hey, just we're over here if you decide to talk to us. Now, if you've got a big, boisterous personality, you don't have this problem. But here's the thing I want you to understand. All of our groups that we're forming are new groups. So guess what? Everybody's going to be awkward. You just get to be awkward with the rest of us. It's going to be great. Okay? You don't have to feel like the odd one out because we're all going to be getting to know each other as we go about these. Here's another excuse we hear. Well, I tried a small group once and it just didn't work out. How many of you are married to the person... That you went on your very first date with? Couple. It happens. Most of us aren't. Most of us went on a date with somebody and thought, nope. <laughs> or we dated someone for a while and eventually thought, nope. Imagine if you went on that first date and it didn't go well and it wasn't a good fit, and you're like, well, I tried. <laughs> no, no more. Or you dated someone for a few months and it didn't end well. I'm like, well, I tried. No. I guess this is just the road I'll walk the rest of my life. Most of us don't do that. Most of us keep looking until we find the right one. And a group can function the same way. You tried a group, it didn't work. We've got other options for you. And actually, one of our goals is to have a diverse variety of types of groups. We've got groups based on Location. If you live up around Legends, we have groups up there. If you live down around Olathe, we have groups there. You live east or west of here, we have groups in all of those directions. So you don't have to drive that far to find a group. We have groups that are based on what stage of life you're in. We've got groups for young parents. We have groups for 20s and 30s somethings. We have groups for empty nesters. We have groups for everyone. We have groups for recovered Broncos fans. Okay? (laughs) We have it. I made that part up. But I think Brad really does want to get those in place. So just, if, if that's you, it's coming, okay? We'll get there. Another excuse we'll have is people will say, well, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I don't need people around me. And maybe you are right now. Maybe you're fine right now. But how long will that last? Often we can be fine by ourselves until something comes up and something happens. And, and often too, you'll say, well... You know, I can learn more about the Bible by myself because I don't have people around me. and I don't have all this stuff going on. I can just, I can go at my own speed. Okay, fair enough. There's an old Zambian proverb that says, when you run alone, you can run fast. But when you run together, you can run far. And life is not a sprint. Life's a marathon. Uh, No matter how long you live, life is a marathon. And and sprinting through life will be fine for a couple weeks or a couple months, and eventually you'll wear yourself down and you'll wear yourself out. Here's the most common excuse that we hear. I just don't have time. Brad talked about this last week. The one thing that we all share, regardless of what social class you're in, regardless of what economic class you're in, regardless of where you're from, how old you are, et cetera, we all have 24 hours in a day, In seven days a week. The question is, what do you do with your time? How do you prioritize your time? And I get it. I get it. Life gets busy. Jennifer and I, we have three kids. We are busy. And our kids aren't even old enough to be involved yet. So like the next decade of our lives will be busy. That's part of it. But what am I showing to my kids is the most important part of life. Is it going to every activity we can or is it making sure that at least every so often we are pausing and we are being together with other people who are also growing in their faith? And to accommodate people like us, like you, if if that's you, we have some groups that are meeting bi-weekly instead of every week to kind of accommodate so we don't just run you down because sometimes that one night you have off, you just need a break. (laughs) So we have groups that are going to meet every couple of weeks. To help with that, if you've got questions about what kind of groups we have, again, check at the table out here today. Talk to Phil or talk to Matt. They'll give you the rundown of what we have group wise to offer. And here's the best part of it what we have to offer right now is just a starting point. This is going to grow because we're building groups that are going to multiply and grow. We want groups we, we, by this time next year to have at least two times the groups we have now, maybe more. Small groups are important to our lives because your small group becomes the first line of defense in your spiritual walk. See, here's the thing that that I want you to understand. Small groups, in a way, become your immediate church. I said, how do we get bigger and smaller at the same time? This is why. This is how. We are a staff of seven pastors. You're a church of 700. We love you. Every one of you. But we cannot possibly be there for you every time there's something comes up. A small group can. Our, our church in Oregon was much, much smaller. We had a lady who was in the hospital for six days before we found out about it. And she was upset that nobody contacted her. I said, we didn't know. We didn't know you were in the hospital. This isn't like it used to be. The hospitals can't contact us anymore. Uh, so we didn't know. I said, did you, did you tell your small group? Well, I'm, I'm not in one. I said, so you were here for six days and didn't tell anybody, but but we couldn't be here for you. And that broke my heart. Like, I wasn't upset with her, but it broke my heart that, that she sat there alone for that long. And on the flip side of that, we had a lady who was in the hospital for two weeks, and her small group never left. In fact, her small group would show up and tell her husband, you go home and get rest. We'll take care of her. We'll be here. He could go to work, and they would sit with her. And they they embodied that family mindset. They were there for each other all the time. Every walk of life, they walked together. And so I would look at it like this, community. It's kind of like a retirement account. You, You can't wait until you need it to invest in it. I can't turn the page in 20 years and say I'm ready to retire and look back like, oh, well, I guess I didn't put any money in my retirement account, now what? I get to keep working the rest of my life. You need to start investing in it now. No, you may not need community right this second, but you will. So what are you doing to build that up today? See, it's simple, folks. God never intended for any of us to live life alone. He he didn't. Participating in a home group, it, 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 it enriches your life But I think in particular, when it comes to us as our spiritual walk, being in a home group does three things in particular that are valuable. And maybe they're invaluable. Here's the first thing that living and growing in community does. It's encouraging. It's encouraging. Imagine that you are trying to go through some sort of weight training routine or fitness routine and you're doing it all by yourself. It's easy to say, well, that was good enough for today but you've got somebody there challenging you, pushing you, coaching you, you're going to go a little further. The the one verse that we've, uh, or one of the two verses that we've really used through this whole series is Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. You understand this, if you're a part of a group, how many things have you done together in service to the church, in ministry? How many... times have you helped somebody or or been able to be helped because of a group beside you, encouraging and pushing one another? Here's the second thing that growing a community is. It's fun. It's fun. Who doesn't love hanging out with other people? Okay, it's it's fun. And you know what's great about this? The Bible says it's fun. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity? Uh, how, How good is it Pleasant, that's like fun, that's enriching. You can have some amazing times together, completely unstructured. Have a game night. Have have a watch party for a ball game. Cook some hamburgers or hot dogs. It doesn't have to be big and over the top to be together and enjoy the company of each other. Here's the third thing. Growing in community promotes unity. We, We talked about this earlier. Ben had us take communion together. And that may be something that for you is, is different or weird. Maybe, maybe it's something that you think, oh, I don't know why we did that. Growing up, that's how we did it all the time. We did it together. And it wasn't until I was older that I, I understood why. Because you take communion, you take the first four letters off that, what do you get? Union. You take community and you take the first four letters off that, what do you get? Unity. One. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 12 when he says this, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part is a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Folks, as a church, we are one. We're one. And we should be one. And our, we're, we're, we're one whether we're five people or 5,000. But through that one, we become Smaller sects, smaller sections, smaller communities within our larger body. And folks, I truly believe life is best lived and experienced through that. And and so I'm going to give you a very simple takeaway today. Very simple challenge. And it's this. Commit to a small group for the rest of this year. Three months. Three months. Commit to a small group for the rest of 2021. And then at the end of 2021, you come back and say, well, that was a waste of time. Okay, take a break. And then come try another one. But I'm willing to bet, and I know we're not supposed to bet in church, but I'm willing to bet that most of you, after three months, would say, man, that was, that was a good three months. That was fun. It, it, it enriched my life. That's my challenge to you all today. The best version of you is found in community. The best version of the church is found in community. Folks, like Brad talked last week, we don't want to be a church with teams that do ministry. We want to be a church of teams that do ministry. We're not a church with small groups. We want to be a church of small groups. That's our goal. That's our challenge as we move forward. And on that idea of relationships, folks, we're starting a new series next week on relationships where we're going to dive more into the micro level on what it means to grow together. So I want to encourage you, be here for that, because it's just going to add to what we've been talking about the past few weeks. Let me pray for us as we wrap up today. Father, we are, are so thankful, Lord, that you have created this church for us to come and to be one. This church for us to come and to be united together. God is different parts of the body that have our own functions and our own features, but God is a body that has one purpose. God, our our goal is to worship you and to grow to become more like you. And I I pray that you would continue to challenge us in that way. But God, more than that, that we would challenge each other. God, if we have anybody here who feels alone, who feels like they're living in isolation and is in need of community, God, we would be aware of them. God, we would be able to draw them in to to our doors, to our arms. God, they would be led to us and we would be receptive. But God, we would be communities that grow around you. God, we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for your son. We pray today in Jesus' name, amen.